This is not because of you. It's because the girl's parents are assholes. Val's crazy about you. Is he? Yeah. Oh, that helps. There you go. Oh, you're so sweet. <sighs> that water is so cool. Maybe, maybe it is too much to introduce me as his mother on the first visit. Could you tell them I was a relative who dropped in? Val's uncle, Uncle Al. Oh, what's the point to be Val's gay Uncle Al? Oh, I could play it straight. Oh, please, look at you. Look at the way you're holding your glass. Look at your pinky. Look at your posture. What? What about you? You're obviously not a cultural whatever it is. You've never been to a museum and you eat like a pig. Albert, these people are right-wing conservatives. They don't care if you're a pig. They just care if you're a f Oh, fuck them. Of course you can pass as an uncle. You're a great performer. I'm a great director. Together, we can do almost anything. Oh, Amon, really? Absolutely. Oh. We've got five hours. All right, first, get your pinky down. It's up oh. again. All right, and your posture. Oh, oh my God, are you crazy? <laughs> I'm teaching you to act like a man. Welcome to Killer Casting. I'm Lisa Zambetti, casting director in Los Angeles, and welcome to Pride Pod. That is right, folks. It's June. It's Pride Month for LGBTQ plus community and our allies. I am so freaking lucky to have worked for so many producers in Hollywood who were really trying to break ground on representation on screen for gender identity and sexual orientation, who wanted to cast diverse actors. Sometimes when they're gender and sexual orientation was part of the story and sometimes not when it really didn't have anything to do with the story they just wanted to make sure that we were considering all kinds of actors so i'm very very lucky and i just wanted to take this day to celebrate and i was just talking about this with our guest we're going to be talking under an umbrella a big bright beautiful rainbow umbrella because you don't necessarily want to talk about sexual orientation movies and and roles about that in the same breath as gender identity but for shits and giggles we're just gonna be under this big huge rainbow umbrella as our community keeps finding its voice and expressing itself and i just want to celebrate performances individual roles there might be a role in a shitty movie or a terrible tv show or it might be a show that is very much forward-facing about lgbtq community whatever i just want to amplify those stories and voices and celebrate it and we just got to get our gay on today okay and so i have my sexy beast as usual by my side dean laughing say hello how's the thunder from down under doing Doing okay today and feeling good. We are doing this on Zoom, so Lisa and HLN can see that I'm still wearing my protest lockdown beard. We're coming out of lockdown at <laughs> midnight tonight and we can return to normal. So I'm feeling very happy and excited about this particular pod app. Right. So spoiler alert, we have a special guest with us today and I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Go for it. Hi, I am H. Alan Scott. I'm a writer, comedian, drag queen. Sadie Pines is the drag alter ego. And yeah, that's me. That's who I am. Yes. And the last time I saw you, my dear, was at your uh, screening of your documentary. Can you tell the nice people yes. what your documentary is called? 
so the documentary is called Latter-day Jew, and I was raised Mormon, and then I converted to Judaism, and a lot of weird stuff happened in the middle. Homosexuality, a little bit of cancer, like a lot of different things sort of popped in between all of that. And that is what the film is about. It's about me having my bar mitzvah and being the best gay Jew possible. Yep. And you do it up. Where can we see that now? It's actually, I heard that it has been, because COVID got in the way of its rollout. We were Mm. planning on the whole rollout and then the pandemic happened. So it's coming soon to a streaming platform near you. But I can't say more because I am not allowed to. Okay, fine, <laughs> fine, fine. I can't say what one or anything because oh, I actually great. don't even know. Okay, well, when you know, we'll let everybody know. I'd hey, tell them, what are you are trying gonna... to hide? Come on. <laughs> I know, but you can just follow me on everything. I tweet a lot. You'll know if you follow me. Okay, hint. cool. Yes, hence. <laughs> so today I asked everybody to come up with a list and my lists are very loosey-goosey. It could be whatever list you want. It could be top acting performances, films, TV mm-hmm. shows, whatever impacted you in some way as far as this beautiful rainbow umbrella of issues and icons, anything that you might see as a touchstone or a turning point or something that stuck with you. Because, you know, in the words of the wise, honey, boo, boo, everybody a little bit gay. Everybody, I mean, a little ev- bit gay. everybody a little bit gay. So I was going to say that in the last 10 years, wow, things mm-hmm. have really changed in representation. And while the last three years, it seems to have accelerated even more, although for some people, it's it's never enough. We still need to keep working. Mm. But I wanted to say that some of the things that we're seeing now, like Euphoria and just lots of high profile shows and films that deal mm-hmm. with this experience, they stand on the shoulders of other work and other things. So I think some of the things on my list are going to do that. So what do y'all think? Anything that you want to share about anything? Yeah, I feel like as a homosexual, I should probably say what was my first as a child experience seeing another homosexual on screen and actually having a moment to identify with that person. And it was such a strange experience for me. I remember I was 13 years old and every Friday night we would go see the movies. It was a big deal in my family, Friday night movie. Mm -hmm. And one weekend we went to go see, it was opening weekend, The Birdcage. I knew what it was about because I watched the Oprah episode about it. So I knew what it was going on, but I didn't know I was gay. I knew I wasn't straight, but I also didn't know what I was really. I mean, I did, but I didn't. It was a weird moment. Hmm. And I remember watching the film, terrified, sitting in the audience with my family, watching this performance and this amazing film. In retrospect, it is actually a great film. Like it's a really, it it holds up really well. I watched it recently, but I always want to be cool and be like, my first experience was this deep, my own private Idaho, some film or something. No, it was a Robin Williams movie. I'm sorry, people. I'm not cool. But I, I remember watching it and I wasn't really struck by Robin Williams' character. I was actually struck by Nathan Lane's character. It was Nathan Lane that I looked Mm. at him and I was like, I knew I wanted to be him, but at that moment in my life, I was too terrified to be him Mm. because he was the joke. He was the effeminate one. He was the drag queen. He was the butt of every joke, but he was the Mm. one everyone remembered too. Right, but he was Mm. also the more, I remember him being just... I don't know. Robin Williams is such a huge explosive personality and he seemed like the more flamboyant one and where Nathan Lane could be sort of the quieter mom with her pearls and her cardigan set. But in the most over the top way, quiet, Mm. which is the, and as a kid, I remember being really scared that that was my future. I remember being really scared that I was going to become the butt of the joke and not in a good way. And now that I've 
aged a few years since then. And I have literally become that person. Like I am actually Nathan Lane's character. I do comedy. I do drag. <laughs> I don't get paid very much, but I have a wonderful man that I live with that makes all of my clothes and basically runs everything that I do in drag. So I basically am living the Nathan Lane experience in the bird cage. And I just need to own a theater. That's the next level. That's the next thing. And then I'm him. And, and in a weird way, I'm so proud that I became that. And that first gay film experience, I literally became that character. And it's kind of so wonderful. Funny. Looking back on it, do you think that it had a strong unconscious influence on you to go in that direction? Or is it huge. just a coincidence that you ended up in that way? You it know, was that it ended up. That film was huge. I mean, literally, I remember we left the theater and my mom said, she kept talking about how funny it was and how great these characters were and how amazing they were. And it kind of in a weird way in the back of my head was like, it's okay for me to be like this. It's okay for me to want these things and to be over the top and to be funny. And I even had the pleasure right before he died, like a year before he died, I was doing my stand-up cancer show, my cancer hour, and Robin Williams came, was at the show. And oh. he took us. He took me and my crew out to dinner afterwards. And I told him about oh the God. birdcage and how important that was. And he, <laughs> he leaned in and he was like, you and every other f and I thought it was the funniest thing. <laughs> Only Robin Williams could take a sentimental moment and turn it into something like that. He just was such a sweet. I mean, I don't know him. I knew him that day, but he was. It was oh, a sweet that's moment. So and, wonderful. Yeah, it was that's a, great. It was a great moment in my life. Just in regard to that movie, I was wondering as a Aussie 55 year old. Apparently, my daughter tells me I'm a cis. I get that cis straight. <laughs> other yeah. and free. That's right. And I was it. wondering, yeah. was there any pushback from the gay community about the roles played by straight guys in the film? Because interestingly enough, recently on a Mark Moron podcast, he interviewed Hank Azaria and Hank Azaria was not apologizing for his role in the birdcage, but he covered mm -hmm. his role in the birdcage. And he said that if he was offered the position again, he mm -hmm. wouldn't do it but not for the fact that he was playing a gay guy, but it was all around the cultural sensitivity and for the same reason that he recently declined to continue as Apu in The Simpsons sure. because he felt that the role should have gone to somebody Indian, right? Mm. And so that opens up a whole can of worms about gay playing straight, straight playing gay, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, it sounds like from your descriptions that the movie was embraced by the gay community, but was it right across the board or were there pockets of people that went, mm, this is not right? I think the question the is a bit different. I don't think the question is, should straight actors be playing gay parts? I think that's actually a different conversation. The conversation yeah. is queer people in general were never given the rights or the advancement to succeed in entertainment. So even though there were queer actors at the time, there were no queer actors of Hank Azaria's level. There were, but not many to play that part or these parts in the birdcage. And Nathan Lane is an open, he wasn't openly yeah. gay man, but he is a gay right. man. And he is a gay man. So there was, yes, there, yes. there was a lot of lack of representation. And because of that, we're all, we both work in Hollywood. We know how this business works. It is a business and they're not going to mm -hmm. cast unknowns in the birdcage in Elaine May, Mike Nichols directed, written film. They're just not going to do that. And so- yeah. Yeah, it's never got a green lit. Well, yeah. and the pool the pool of actors at that time, there were no A-list out because gay of discrimination. Actors. Yeah, because there was there was totally tons of A-list gay actors, but not that mm. were out. And now so, if yeah. the film was being made, yes. you could have out openly gay queer actors playing these parts openly sort of gender non-binary queens playing mm -hmm. the drag. You could have drag mm -hmm. kings in there. You could have so many different types of representation in the film. And it would be bad if I don't I think straight actors can play gay. I'm totally happy with that. But I also think there should be some 
understanding that we are still not being cast in we're not being cast in straight roles half the time. So there is a lack of understanding and equal playing field for queer talent out there. And I think there should be a cultural understanding to that now. But I understand why there wasn't in 1996. Right. Yeah, we have to look at the yeah. time in its context for exactly. sure. For me, I want to bring up the movie Boys Don't Cry. Oh my God, which... Boys Don't Cry. <laughs> I know. Now, from a casting point of view, forget that Hillary, I almost said Hillary Duff, Hillary Swank. <laughs> that would have been a different movie. Can you yeah. imagine Hillary, Hillary Duff in that Swank, role? Her, you know, her claim to fame at that Disney time was Karate Kid 3 or whatever. And also Beverly was, Hills 90210 for one season. Thank, thank you. you. Um, but it's a, it's actually casting genius to be able to believe in her. And she was yeah. amazing. And the thing is, for me, it was such a huge experience because I'd never seen from a POV of a trans man mm -hmm. and watching her fold up the sock and stuff it down her jeans and yeah. finding her breasts and looking at herself in the mirror and how she could not not do that. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry. He had to do that. Yeah. To be true, to be in his mm -hmm. body and true and watching him try to make love to Chloe Sevigny. It was just such an eye opening experience to see that POV. It was. And, an, an and Brandon Tina's story needed yeah. to be told. The murder of that boy needed mm -hmm. to be told. And I mean, the weird thing in the gay rights movement, I remember being a kid researching sort of queer stuff secretly half the time. And Brandantina was before Matthew Shepard. And right. in a weird way, Brandantina became sort of a touchstone for a lot of queer rights stories in that he was the person we turned to to be like, shit's happening. We need to do something about this. We need mm -hmm. people to pay attention to this. And unfortunately, no one paid attention really when Brandantina was murdered, which is unfortunate. And they did pay attention when Matthew Shepard was murdered. But it was a really big, big, big in the late 90s. Brandantina was important. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hillary's performance was incredible. She was an it also started one of the, my favorite wars in Academy Award history because Hillary Swank won both of her Oscars beating Annette Bening when Annette Bening should right. have won at least once for one of those. <laughs> right, right. And the supporting cast, I have to say, of Boys Don't Cry was fantastic and mm -hmm. horrifying. That, that yeah. is real. It's a real mm -hmm. gut wrencher. Dean, so tell us your touchstone. Well, I'm going to start with a negative one because my earliest experience, and I've told this story before, H. Allen, was that as a young 15-year-old, myself and three buddies, picture four 15-year-old Western suburbs, Melbourne kids from so we're talking the early 80s or whatever it was. We stumbled by mistake. We stumbled into the movie Cruising. Oh, because hi. it had Al Pacino and Al Pacino. Wow. Al Pacino is, a, you know, this action dude and he's Serpico and he's whatever. Yeah. And so, of course, the opening scene of that opened and we're sitting in this nearly empty cinema with a scattering of other guys. And, yeah. and the movie opens and we are just rooted to the spot. We're like, what the hell are we looking at and what is happening and what kind of movie is this? Now, subsequently, in fact, Ben Schur has written a blog post on the history of gay portrayal in film. And I learned the amount of protest that there was about the film in New York. People were, were chanting and mm -hmm. trying to disrupt the film. There were people on rooftops shining mirrors into the lenses of the cameras. Apparently the entire soundtrack had to be reproduced in post because it portrayed, at that time in the 80s, it portrayed gay males as psychotic mm -hmm. killers. 
So um, not for the first time you know, either. That's... It was like that had been happening oh, so it, much exactly. on right. cinema. Right. What about rope? Right. Yeah. What about rope? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hitchcock. Here's these two gay guys, uh, homicidal maniacs, uh, gay mm-hmm. guys that are getting off on this one conversation that I recently saw where they were talking, they were affecting yeah. sexual gratification, talking about smothering mm-hmm. this victim. So yeah, and the timing of cruising is interesting too, code. because it was right before the AIDS yeah, epidemic, mi- middle of AIDS. The AIDS oh, before epi- was it? We had, yeah, it came out right. right before the AIDS epidemic, and we had just it was such an interesting moment. I mean, I wasn't alive then, but I do a lot of reading. I'm Bannon is a good friend of mine. We've bonded over this for years. <laughs> but the gay rights movement was at a precipice of actually getting rights. I mean, there were movements. There were even marriage equality movements happening in the United mm-hmm. States. There were small pockets of it happening. And then AIDS hit and it just sort of stopped everything. And in cinema, it's interesting because, yeah, we were the murderers or the killers or whatever, or the victims of murder up until that moment. And then all of a sudden we become the victims of tragedy. We're dying of something. There's always a health illness or a scare. Mm. We fall down somewhere. Something happens and sure. we die somehow magically. And it's cruising was a yeah a big one for like, no more of this shit. We're done with this. Right. Yeah. Right. And at the end of the film, I still remember the final scene where he's he's in the bathroom, his girlfriend's in the bedroom just off camera, mm-hmm. and he's staring himself in the mirror. And the implication is that this whole thing of him having, in inverted commas, to go through this this particular assignment has, quote, turned him gay. And it was like a uh, salutary warning. Stay away from this community, folks. <laughs> you never know what will happen. I also hope that straight men watching Cruising, the only thing that good thing that I think came from Cruising is the possibility of straight men being like, well, maybe I could touch a dick. <laughs> it forced them to, for five minutes, be like, what if? To themselves, obviously, because mm. they would never do it out loud. What if I tried once? Mm-hmm. I love that moment. And I know the straight men thought it. Yep. <laughs> well, that turns us to maybe appropriately to the film Milk, oh. which is just Gus Van Zandt, Sean Penn, such a stellar cast with real gays. Real gays are in that. Some cast. real gays, some real yes. gays. Mm-hmm. Not many, I will say, but some. But what I loved about Milk, so if people are listening, please go watch this movie that's about the life and tragic murder of Harvey Milk, who was one of the first openly gay elected government officials mm-hmm. in the u.s and he would happen to be elected in my home neck of the woods in san francisco mm. and i remember when moscone and harvey milk were assassinated yeah. and victor garber actually plays moscone in the film who is oh, wow. definitely out and proud but anyway just the joy this is the thing i think for me because sean penn is such a broody bastard mm. and so to have him mm-hmm. play somebody like harvey milk who was yeah. all rainbows and unicorns and loved himself mm-hmm. and loved his community and was so positive and was just the least likely person to be able to get into government to see him play that was just sometimes i think for the straight community to see somebody like sean penn embrace this role Mm -hmm. is like a subliminal green it's the roots effect you know how in roots they had all these wholesome dads like the brady bunch dad play a slave owner it's Uh the concept of taking something you expect and then Mm -hmm. turning it on your head forcing a different audience to 
embrace something they wouldn't normally embrace. And Sean Penn did that. And I loved how they also had Dan White's character. So Dan White was the murderer of Harvey Milk. They served mm-hmm. together on the board. They were both supervisors on the San Francisco board. And at first, they were definitely polar opposites. Dan White yeah. was literally the most white bread person in the whole world, mm-hmm. considering the fact he was living in the Bay Area. And at first, they were kind of colleagues, but then there was an animosity that developed. And some people theorize, and this film certainly does, that's because Dan White kind of had latent homoerotic feelings mm-hmm. and that he was confronted with Harvey. And so that's I saw what, those tight pants. Yep. But that's what I loved about Josh Brolin's portrayal is that I'm not here to amplify any murderer's or offender's voice, but to play somebody who's conflicted Mm -hmm. and struggling, I think, was just a deeper nuanced performance than Mm -hmm. you might get. And I just love that film. And And the famous Twinkie defense. That was Dan White's. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, Dan White, he died of suicide years Mm -hmm. later after that, but he claimed he drank a lot of Pepsi or something and ate a bunch of Twinkies and he was high on sugar and that's why he did yeah, that. that's right. why he that's was, why he, he figured out yeah. how to go around the metal oh detector and break in i can tell you after covid and the amount of sugar i ate during covid that that does not happen, <laughs> does not, happen. <laughs> not a valid defense you think no yeah. no well, it's funny you just mentioned roots so that was mm. the father from the brady bunch played in roots did he and many other actors too the yeah, yeah. no, 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 but I'm saying particularly, yeah. so his name was Robert Reed, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. he and he was the father in the Brady Bunch, and he was gay, and, and it was that was yeah. in the 70s, and I did read something, it was an interview with, I think, one of the cast who knew he was gay, and he said, if I was to come out, I would never work again, yeah. never. And it's true for and, him, I and, think. And I think just, back then, it would have been true. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah. So, yeah, really yeah. so, what are we now? It's 50, 50 years later. Thank, thank God, things have changed mm-hmm. to some extent. Well, that's why it's so interesting when Tom Hanks takes on mm-hmm. the role that he did. You have to remind me. What Similar the, effect. What Philadelphia. The when they takes on the role in Philadelphia, Philadelphia. it's yeah. it's the same green lighting. Yeah. Whereas if Robert Reed played that role, I think it would have been maybe different. Mm. It's so interesting now, though, because if you think about it, Philadelphia in 93, we needed to humanize AIDS, obviously. Mm -hmm. And Tom Hanks was able to do that with Philadelphia and same with Roots and same with Milk, even in Mm -hmm. a lot of ways. When Milk came out, there were gay actors that could have played Harvey Milk. But I almost think Sean Penn's performance was more impactful because he's Sean Penn. The power of Sean Penn Mm -hmm. playing that, that role brings eyes to it that... Neil Patrick Harris wouldn't be able to do. I'm sorry. He just wouldn't be able to bring that kind of attention to it. And I think part of that is because Neil Patrick Harris is gay and wasn't afforded some of the rights that Sean Penn was as an actor. Sure, all of those things are true. But the reality is the reality. And Sean Penn is hot and cool. And every straight dude wants to be Sean Penn and beat something up with a bat. And so cast him in this awesome role and make make these straight dudes see Sean Penn play the most important gay person in the 20th century. And boom, mm. maybe they'll look at their gay brothers and sisters and think differently. Just before we move off Philadelphia, my daughter pointed me towards a terrific little 10, 12 minute YouTube clip, which I will put into the show notes, which is really well put together. It's called A History of Homosexuality in Film. Mm. And in it, they make the point, the guy that put it together and he didn't have his name in the information under, so I can't credit him, but it's really good. And he makes the point that as good as Philadelphia was, in that film, Tom and Antonio never kiss. Mm. And Correct. He they said, slow dance, but they don't So care. that didn't happen. Yeah. And he said, so that didn't happen until this. 
And then he jump cuts to that scene where in Brokeback Mountain, which of course we'll get to that, I'm sure, mm-hmm. but where Heath Ledger just pins, what's his name? Jake, Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, just pins him to down. the outside of this yeah. wall and just plants this big, big luscious kiss on him. So, yeah, I guess that reflects the fact that what Philadelphia was 90-something and mm-hmm. Brokeback Mountain was a decade or more later and so there was more license. So uh, yeah. I thought that was interesting and something for me as uh, with my straight background to observe as well that I would have thought, yeah, Philadelphia's a groundbreaking movie, but I never noticed that they actually as tender as they were. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, they never kissed. They never kissed. Mm-hmm. Anyway. I think my buddy Matt Baum did that video, by the way. He's a great YouTuber, podcaster, and he does a lot of queer history, cinema, film, mm-hmm. TV stuff that's really, really good. Well, since you brought it up, let's right. talk about Brokeback because that was certainly just for me, it was tremendous visually. It was mm-hmm. tremendous on so many levels. These tight-jawed, closeted guys, one guy who probably never would have come out or even thought that he was on any kind of spectrum mm-hmm. of sexual orientation in the role that Keith Ledger played. What did you think of that film, H.R.? I, okay, so picture it. It was the holidays. It was 2005, and I was in New York City living at the time, and I went to go see Brokeback Mountain, I believe. Yes, it was 2005. I went to go see Brokeback Mountain, and I went by myself. And in New York City, fabulous gay city, don't go see a gay movie by yourself in New York City. You will feel very lonely, I noticed. (laughs) I am seeing the most important gay film to come out in modern history. And I'm sitting there alone and there are all, I feel like I'm doing stand-up set and I was about to go say something really inappropriate. Please do. Do you know me? Do you not know me? I can't. I can't. I can't. <laughs> but does it pain the word taint? I mean, please. <laughs> no, Dang. usually in the stand-up set. I mean, if I, especially if I'm in a gay crowd or if I'm in a straight crowd, I will often use the f word for homosexual as a, oh, a sort of a yeah. back and oh, forth oh, and don't. a thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. And uh, some okay. straight audiences don't get that, which I think is really important to hear from a queer mm-hmm. audience. Whatever. It's a whole. Di- that's a different episode. But I <laughs> was sitting in the audience and I was recognizing that. I was in a cultural moment and gay people were experiencing it, mostly couples sitting around me. Now, so that tainted a little bit of my love of the film, but I do think the film was so important. But I also think it was more important for straight people than it was for gay people because I watched it and Mm. I was like, I'm living this. I don't need to see Heath Ledger cornhole and Jake Gyllenhaal. I mean, I will watch late (laughs) at night, but I don't need to see it. But I think straight people need to see it. And it's sort of is the same along the lines as Milk and Sean Penn and Milk is that here was this beautiful film that brought in a lot of audiences and different kinds of eyes to a queer story. And I think that was the point of the film. Yeah, it was just such a heart-wrenching film on just so many levels. I don't know if you ever read the Annie Proulx mm-hmm. book that it's based on. It's like a, it's like a, wisp, a whisper-thin little story yeah. that yeah. they somehow just blasted this fantastic extrapolation out of. It was just fantastic. Okay, what's mm. next on your list, guys? Uh, uh, Lisa, incidentally, Lisa, do you remember who co-wrote the screenplay on that? Ooh, Considering that? it was about cowboys. Larry McMurdy. Oh. Yes, yeah. exactly. One of my right. favorite writers of all time. Yeah, uh, so they got the authentic cowboy in there as well. He yeah. wrote one of my Amazing. favorite books and films of all time, Terms of Endearment. Oh. Um, he didn't write the film. Oh. James L. Brooks did, but he wrote the right. book that it's based on. Whatever. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, yeah. One thing that I want to talk about that I think often gets overlooked when we talk about queer cinema or television even is 
the lack of roles of queer people of color portrayed in Hollywood. Often we celebrate white gayness, we celebrate mm-hmm. white transness and white lesbian. Like there's a lot of white and there's a lot of whitewashing involved in what gets accepted, even the ones that win Oscars. You name for history and the one that people can probably point to is, oh, Moonlight. But other than that, it's Brokeback Mountain. It's Boys Don't Cry. It's Philadelphia. It's all white people winning Oscars, often straight people <laughs> playing gay winning Oscars. And for me, we probably should just talk about Moonlight. But for me, where it started was Whoopi Goldberg in Boys on the Side, same year as Queen Latifah in Set It Off. Those mm-hmm. two films, same year, incredible performances. And it was like these two powerful, badass women playing le- two very different lesbians. Mm-hmm. And one, a criminal who was getting laid and she was a badass and she was just, that's Queen Latifah. And then Whoopi Goldberg in Boys on the Side, who was more soft and she got on this road trip with drew barrymore and mary louise parker and mary louise parker is hiv positive and she's dying and it's this moment of the lesbian needs to be humanized and become motherly in a way and it's it's just those two films that coming out in the same year just changed me because it was just i never saw that on film before and i think that's a travesty that we don't see more queer people of color portrayed in film it's true. I think on TV, you are getting much more of a rainbow. Yeah. On my list is Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've ever seen mm-hmm. that. I have. Uh, Stephanie Beatrice and Andre Brower, they yeah. both play queer, actually, oh, yeah. by, which you definitely don't get very many people playing by. I'll tell you that mm-hmm. right now. But they both play cops, and she plays Rosa Diaz, who's this badass. Her father is Danny Trejo, for God's sakes. She's in, in uh, The Heights, too, isn't she? I think she I is. Haven't, I haven't seen that yet. And then you you yeah. had Andre Barra playing Captain Holt, you know, who's this big grizzly yeah. guy. But there's a finesse to him. There's a finickiness to him that mm-hmm. is not feminine, which I love these nuances because that's what people are people. They're not people just... People are nuanced. They're nuanced. They're crazy. They yeah. have all kinds of layers to them. And I love that it feels like TV is mm-hmm. getting the legs to be able to show those kinds of... But I mean, God bless Moonlight. Oh my God, Moonlight. Moonlight was a cultural reset that Hollywood desperately, desperately needed. And I think the mistake at the Academy Awards when they accidentally called out La La Land instead of Moonlight, (laughs) not only, it just reinforced the importance of why Moonlight matters. That we often even mistakenly overlook films like Moonlight and we need to stop doing that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Dino, Mm. what's next on your list? Okay, well, having started with something negative, and I'm going to go way back to 92, and I'm going to mention someone who's a very big star now, and this is a beautiful gay rom-com made in 1992 Australia, starring Russell Crowe. Yes, I, think I, I know said this one, Russell Crowe. This is a movie called The Sum of Us, and it's a romantic comedy. Russell Crowe, he just played in Robber Stomper, so the year before... He really burst onto the movie scene playing this absolutely nasty, fierce neo-Nazi set in the western suburbs of Melbourne, my backyard. It also had some future Aussie stars, Jacqueline McKenzie, Dan Wiley, but established his ability to act with menace, the same menace that he can bring to other films. He followed that up a year later with this baby-faced movie, and his father is the great Aussie actor Jack Thompson, 
And it's this very funny, very tender, for the time in 92, I can't believe that it was made back in that time. He's openly gay. His dad is recently widowed. He openly supports him. And he's a very vulnerable, tender dude. And his dad is sort of cajoling him for not getting out more because he's living at home. And he's trying to explain to his dad, I'm waiting for Mr. Wright. And so John Paulson, the actor and director, plays his love interest. John is the founder of Tropest, the Sydney-based largest film festival in the world. And he also mm. directed, he directed a big movie called Hide and Seek in the US with De Niro and Dakota Fanning. And he took over 100 million. So he's quite a talented guy, John Paulson. But it's just this beautiful, sweet, tender, typical rom-com, only it's between mm. these two guys and they're in Sydney and it's 1992, and it stars Russell Crowe. I can't recommend Crazy, it highly yeah. enough. Was there it's, nudity? It's no, absolutely. Oh. Well, See, I don't no, remember. I've any, always no, found that Australians thing. love to get naked in movies, especially in queer. <laughs> I mean, I've seen a lot of queer content coming out of Australia, and they're always letting their willies fly. So I was hoping that Russell Crowe's right have flown, but I guess. I mean, I'll still watch. No, it. sorry, you're gonna. Have <laughs> yeah it's uh what 90 so it's 30 years old yeah and i haven't seen it for a long while but i've queued it up to watch again and my memory of it is nothing but funny and tender and very respectful mm. and my memory of it is that if that's accurate especially for the time and especially coming out of australia in 1992 yeah. it's quite a remarkable film one thing i can't believe we missed and it's not a film or a tv show but it was certainly made a huge impact on me was the play angels in america that's uh, on my list that oh great mm, that i, I yeah. saw on broadway yeah. with steven spinella and Marsha gay harden and joe montello and jeffrey wright mm. and it mm. blew my mind it blew everything away and yeah. the rest of america didn't know this play at all but the tv version though mike nichols film it didn't live up to the two-part play but it still was a masterpiece it was just a beautiful yeah. beautiful film with meryl streep I mean, yeah. And Mary Louise Parker and Jeffrey Wright is in that too. It's just so good. Yeah. Yeah. It was just a transforming thing to see as a young actress yeah. <laughs> in New York. What else on your list? Well, speaking of transforming, for me, once I had become sort of solidified in my gayness and I, I was okay with my effeminate ways and everything, I loved film. I worked in movie theaters. I would see movies all the time. I love film. I still do this day. I don't work in film theaters anymore, but I still love film. And I saw the gay films. You know, I saw the the Boys Don't Cry, the Monster, all of the films that were oh, like yeah. huge during that time yeah. when I was sort of in my my late teens mostly then. And then I saw a film that literally was a 180 for me. Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. Hedwig mm, and the Angry oh, Inch. Was, you have to see it. It's the modern day Rocky Horror Picture Show in a way. Yes, and it yes. is, you can't even say it's gay. It's queer. It's just queer on so many levels. It involves gender identity, sexuality, camp, drag, the patriarchy, the straight masculinity, so music. Great. The I mean, music just, is just... It's incredible. It's, it's an incredible, incredible film. The, the trajectory of the film. And it also kind of gave me hope because here you have this young actor, John Cameron Mitchell, who he would go on to direct amazing films and be a Hollywood power player and do all those things. But when he did Hedwig and the Angry Inch, it literally was, he was just an actor trying to get work in Hollywood doing his thing. And then as a side thing, he and this his writing partner would perform this sort of rock punk right. drag show right, right. as just sort of like a release. And it turned into a play that then got turned into an off-Broadway thing that then 
Robert Redford <laughs> figured out and hmm. gave him into the Sundance Institute so he could learn how to direct so they could make it into a movie. John Cameron Mitchell then, his first film was he wrote, he directed, he starred in, and it was this not quite big budget, but a really big musical. It's just yeah. an incredible film. I can't recommend it enough. Yeah, and it's good for Robert Redford for being an ally. You know, I saw that right. off-Broadway with, I don't know if you know who Michael Cerveris is. Yeah. But he was playing Hedwig, and he was oh. fantastic. He was just so great. And Miriam Shore was still in oh, it. And I love it that. Fantastic. I know this is theater geek stuff. Sorry about that. But, um, I mean, it's just, it's an important film. It's You really should watch it, Dean. It's a very, very good, and it's just a fun film. It's just yeah, fun. Yeah, for candy. sure. Yeah. Oh, there's so many things. I just wanted to shout out a couple performances. So I, I want to talk about real quick, Asia Kate Dillon, who plays, mm -hmm. you know, one of the first non true non-binary characters on television or streaming. And they're in the show Billions, mm -hmm. which is a testosterone filled dick fest. And yeah. he, they come in <laughs> and they are just this little quiet well, energy, quiet energy, brilliant smartest person in the room mm -hmm. proud in the face of all of this other rat race hyper masculine energy it's just such an interesting it's is, so good are they the most fantastic actor in the world i don't know i don't care mm -hmm. but watching them in this role and they're just sexy emmy nominated role i mean just it's a really recognized role it's like yeah. it's good it's just they're very good representation i think is such a pivot point I just mm. think it's super, super important. And yeah. uh, they are not, well, how would you say, H. Allen, that they are not what? gay? Uh, they're queer. They're... I've had the good fortune of interviewing them, and they, mm -hmm. their sexuality is not necessarily even on the spectrum. They're queer. And the whole presence of being queer is that you don't fit into the spectrum in right. which right. the society says you have to be gay, lesbian, bi, whatever. And I even prefer that. I'm queer. I just, I'm, I'm a queer right. person. And yeah. that is who I am. And I yeah. think that's their identity, that they're queer. Well, I just mean that their character, Taylor, oh, on yeah. Billions, is really, is not, well, are they queer? I, I mean, don't think they're queer. I, think, uh, I don't think they necessarily would identify as queer on the show. I mean, she's a but... cisgendered female. She's yes. a, a assigned female at birth. And she has sex with Mike Birbiglia's yeah man. Who is yeah. Yeah, but I think that blows people's Which, minds. Which, that's already too. pretty queer, too. That's already so <laughs> crazy. But I think that that blows people's minds to think that a non-binary, quote-unquote, androgynous, which is a little throwback term, person isn't a lesbian, right? Yeah. I think yeah. so. Anyway, it's a really just important pivotal. The new show Hacks also does that really well, where they, they show... And this is something that you still can't show that with male characters, but you can with female characters, which I think is a part of the patriarchy, but that... The spectrum of female sexuality allowing, because the character in Hacks doesn't necessarily identify as lesbian, but has same-sex relations with women, but sometimes sleeps mm -hmm. with men because, not because she's attracted to men, but because she's attracted to penis, which is a different, our penises are not gendered, they are just mm -hmm. body parts. It's like this weird mm -hmm. sort of, you can separate it. And I think that's a sort of a beautiful place we're going to, but I'm sure some listeners are like, my mind's blown, I have a yeah, headache. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> reel it back, reel it back, sorry, sorry. Well, folks, uh, this has been an absolute hoot, let me tell you. It's been a bunch of fun, but sadly, time is 
pressing on us and this episode for the moment must come to an end but don't be sad because the second half and our wonderful chat with HLM is coming right up but for the moment it is Killer Casting signing off. Mm-hmm.